my why I really woke up to when I was 11, you know, when we took in those kiddos. My why is stopping terrible things from happening because I don't believe they have to happen. I think human trafficking doesn't have to exist in our world today, but I think it's going to take a world of people to end it. Hi, and welcome to the official Laughs podcast. My name is Estefania Lacayo, and along with Samantha Tams, we founded the Latin American Fashion Summit, a global platform for Latin American fashion and design. In our podcast sessions, we aim to bring you enriching and inspiring conversations with designers, entrepreneurs, leaders, activists, and newcomers, and share their powerful stories with you. Thank you for being here. We hope you enjoy the following conversation. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today to the Laughs Podcast. I have been looking forward to this podcast for many months as this cause is extremely close to my heart, as it's something that I have always been interested in getting involved to find ways to educate myself and find ways to help is such an important cause that is affecting so many. I want to give you guys some stats so you have a better idea how big this industry is and how many people are being affected. The sale of men, women, and children for labor, sexual exploitation, and organs is a $15 billion criminal business. Human trafficking is growing at an alarming rate and no nation or community is immune to it. As of 2017, it's estimated that 40 million people are enslaved across the world. UNICEF estimates that 25 million adults and children are victims of forced labor. This includes children working in the global supply chains, fashion being a huge component. These are all very alarming numbers, which is why I thought it was so important to do this podcast so we could all educate ourselves by hopefully motivating you to get involved and be the change to end human trafficking. During Women's Month, in the last podcast, we will be interviewing four inspiring change-making women. Her first guest is Ashley Chapman, an American human rights lawyer and a social entrepreneur who has been building solutions in education, business, legal, nonprofit organizations, government, and community sectors on the world's most vulnerable populations for over two decades. Ashley is the founder of Altus. Justice You, Engage Together, and the co-founder of AFJR Freedom Council, all projects which are involved in the battle against human trafficking. In this podcast, we will be talking with Ashley about her mission and how to eradicate this concerning and complex issue. Welcome, Ashley, to the Labs Podcast. We are so honored to have you here today. It's really, it's been a, something that I've been really wanting for so long. Um, how are you? Where are you right now? Oh, thank you, Estefania. It's so great to be with you today. And I'm home. I am home in Wyoming. Uh, lots of snow, lots of um, cold weather here, but that, that's where we are today. That's great. Well, actually, I'm in Miami, so I'm in a very ah. warm weather. <laughs> um, but um, but uh, yes, but let's do this. I'm excited. Me too. So, you know, before we dig in to everything, all the great things that you're doing, I really... You know, I don't even think I've shared this story with you, um, which is how I started wanting to get involved into, into everything that you're doing about human trafficking. And so a few years ago, it was, must have been like 10 years ago, I was, I was in New York where I have always been living until just recently. And I read a story in the newspaper about a, lady, about a girl from Nicaragua that she had been sold um, to the narcotrafico in Mexico mm-hmm. by a friend. And, you know, and she was captured for sex slavery for like 12 years. And she tried escaping the first time. And the police gave her back to the group of people that had her captured. And then the Mm -hmm. second attempt, 
she was getting out of like the place they would, the only times that they would see light is when they would take them out of this room where they would have them to take them for sex, to become sexual slaves through the night, right? Yeah. So she was leaving this place with other girls like around six in the morning and the the gang that had them started starts a fight with the other gang and the truck flips and the two people that were in the car with them died. So she was able to escape and she gets, she starts asking for a ride and she gets to uh, Guatemala City, she, Mexico City actually, this is in Mexico and she calls her mother in Nicaragua and her mother obviously hung up the phone because she thought it was a prank of someone which told her was a, that it was her. Mm. And then she called her again. She was like, no, mom, it's me. I've been released. Uh, I need to find out we had to get there. And, you know, embassy helped her. And she was, the rest is history. And, you know, it really, really touched me because I was like, it's unbelievable. You know, I was born and raised in Nicaragua. And all these things are happening in my, in my neighbor, in, in my country. And how mm-hmm. do we not know about them? You know, and, and how can someone like me that works in the fashion world that, how do I even get involved? How do I make a difference? So I had no idea how to make a difference. And it's like, it really moved me, that story. Uh, it did mm-hmm. something inside of me. And every time I had an opportunity, I would just ask friends in, that work at different NGOs, do, doing great stuff all over Latin America and asking like, do you guys know of anyone that is involved in human trafficking or sexual slavery? And they were like, always like, I know someone that does something for human rights. And mm-hmm. sometimes they do something for that. And I was never able to um, to get to someone like you. And you know, oh. years passed. Ten years later, um, I'm looking at the Instagram of a friend of Lisette, a, a journalist that mm-hmm. always comes to her event, uh, her Laughs Summit. And I see that she had interviewed you, and I start reading it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I've been looking for this person." I immediately, of course, emails her. I email her, and I'm like, "Can you please connect me to Ashley?" And she was like, she was probably thinking like, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and anyways, and here we are now, but um, here we are. That's right. So what is that story that moved you? And what was that that inspired you to, to do everything you do? Well, sure. So for, for me, and thank you so much for sharing all of that. And, um, you know, for for not just kind of having a, an emotional reaction to the issue, right? But really moving from caring to a commitment to change things, right? So I think I just want to applaud you for that, that a lot of people can look at this very dark and complex thing and say, um, man, that's just so horrible, right? And, and their heart's broken, but they don't see themselves as participating in the solution. I think a lot of that has to do with they just don't know how. Uh, they want to, but they just don't know how. And they think that you have to become a law enforcement officer or something in order to, you know, kind of lean in. And that's not the truth. There are thousands of things that people can and need to do to help end human trafficking in our world. So I'm just really excited to have this conversation with you, excited about the relationship we're building uh, and the opportunities ahead uh, to make great impact. For me, the story began when I was um, 11 years old. And my parents, uh, I was growing up in Nashville, Tennessee, and my parents took into our care three little children who had been horrifically abused in every possible way, including a two-year-old who had been sexually assaulted. How old were you? I was 11, 11 years old. So we had a a two, five, and eight-year-old who who, um, entered our home who had just, I mean, gone through every possible form of abuse and neglect in their young lives. And it really opened my eyes to the horrors that this world can bring uh, to so many people, uh, to millions of people, but especially to little people. 
And, um, and I just watched for six months while they were in our care, uh, several things unfold. So, uh, one, just the brokenness, you know, that was in their lives and how long it took for them to even just trust us, uh, to, to not hurt them, right. To care for them, to, um, all, all the things, just so many things that they had to come through from the trauma. I then also watched how difficult it was, uh, for my parents to keep them safe. Um, because we were fighting not just, you know, this family that had harmed them uh, so desperately, but we were fighting the system itself, uh, the system itself, you know, which had not uh, operated well enough to prevent their harm and now was actually fighting against keeping them safe. The whole system was broken, our foster care system, our judicial system, uh, the whole thing. So miraculously, six months later, uh, we were able to get them freed from that situation. They all three got adopted together uh, by a family that we knew. And, um, I just real I just really felt like God had put me on this planet to solve for this. I, you know, I just, I just felt it in my soul and made the commitment, uh, and told my parents, even at that time that I was going to solve this. We were going, I, I felt like I was on this planet to help stop terrible things from happening, uh, to people who are hurting and to really reform systems of care and, and how communities are working together to solve for this. And I thought I would need a law degree to get it done. And that's what I do today. So I ha- I'm a human rights lawyer, and I have been working on this issue, specializing in human trafficking and the vulnerabilities that drive it for the last 20 years of my life, full time. That's a wonderful story, Ashley. I mean, you lived everything, you know, firsthand. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm back to what you were saying at the beginning, you know, instead of just sitting at, you know, you did something about it. Um, mm-hmm. Before we continue to the next um, question. I would like to ask you, what is the contemporary definition of human trafficking? What are the different types? Because I remember when we first, when we last spoke, you know, you were walking me through all the different types that you know that I didn't even know they existed. Um, what are those? Um, tell me all about this. Yeah, sure. So without going into the legal definition, because that would bore people, I think that if if you really want to understand trafficking, you need to understand it this way. Trafficking is the sale of human beings for sexual exploitation, forced labor, and organs. So, so that we have three forms of human trafficking going on around the planet, and there are many variations on those three major forms of trafficking, but it is an issue that is impacting literally millions of souls, over 40 million souls all around the world in every country all around the world, it is an issue that is, for traffickers, incredibly lucrative. Uh, so the World Economic Forum, the International Labor Organization, believe that traffickers are making $150 billion per year on the sale of human beings. And so um, this is something that is effect- impacting every demographic, men and women, adults and children, individuals who are citizens of their own countries and foreign nationals. And it's an issue that we just really didn't wake up to until about 20 years ago. Um, we thought, I think, I guess the world thought slavery was a thing of the past, and it is not. Uh, in fact, it is larger in number and more lucrative financially than ever before in our world's history. I mean, those numbers are so, so alarming. And before we get deep into the conversation, what are the countries that you see it the most coming from? Is there a country where, where human trafficking through different forms is happening more than others? That is hard to say. I, I think, yes, you have some concentrated um, 
countries, right, where we know that they have a high prevalence of trafficking. Our Latin American countries have high prevalences of trafficking, especially us as what we call um, a transit trafficking country and ascending, right? So individuals who are fleeing maybe violence or corruption or seeking better things, you know, for, for their families, more economic opportunities. When they start to move, you know, across borders, when they start to move even even in, in, inside their own borders, this is a prime vulnerability that traffickers exploit. India, it has an incredibly high prevalence of trafficking. North Korea, of course, really basically their entire country is based on a foundation of slavery. Um, I've worked in the Philippines. I mean, I've worked all around the globe. In every country, we've helped except for Antarctica, right? So every continent. Uh, and we've never been to a place where it doesn't exist. Here in the United States, uh, we don't even have a clue what those numbers are. And and that is really deeply disturbing to me, but I, I can, which is why it's hard to answer what's, what what countries are the most prevalent because I don't think we have a handle on it. I don't think because we Because the governments are probably not delivering the actual stats. Yeah, well, right. And it's a hidden crime, right? This isn't a crime that 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 wants to be seen, right? So, so to give you an example of this, you know, here in the U.S., uh, for a long time, for a decade, uh, the numbers were maybe between 100,000 and 300,000 uh, children were being trafficked, even just inside the United States. Uh, and no one knew what that figure was. And then Texas came out with a report in 2018 that said they had over 300,000 victims of trafficking in their state alone. So by extension, we're looking at close to a million victims of trafficking in the United States. And yet, as far as like the National Human Trafficking Hotline statistics are, uh, people, you know, calling and reporting cases of trafficking, that number is only sitting at 41,000 last year. So, so in order, to, you know, so what we see is not what is actually happening. Uh, the number is so, so off, you know. It's so off. It's so very off. And, and which is why we just need an army of people to rise up and get educated about how to see this. What does it look like? Who's being impacted in their local city? How do they help end it? Because only then when that when that kind of awareness starts to grow and that commitment to being part of the solution starts to grow, will we actually see the real prevalence of the problem and have a hope of ending it? Oh, my God. You know, many of the people listening to us today are in the fashion industry. Um, they're fashion entrepreneurs and they're the big percentage of our community. So the following issue is very relevant. Many may not know that clothing manufacturing that you were telling me on our previous conversation is one of the sectors in which traffic is more present. How does a person become a slave in the fashion industry? So you have to think about the fashion industry, um, the whole spectrum which of course your, your, your community will know, right? So you have raw materials, right? Just the, the growing of raw materials on say agricultural farms. You've got all the layers of the factories, right? That, that put those materials together and all the different. And so, so think of it, not just um, at that end moment, right? Where you've got a, a piece of clothing or a, or a piece of jewelry, right? That you're selling, but what is the supply chain? Right. What is the entire supply chain? So um, I would really encourage everyone who's listening to this to take a look at two resources online that will help you kind of deep dive into this. One of them is the Fashion Revolution. So oh, fashionrevolution.org. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah. So very so aware. Uh, Summers has been a speaker at our event. We love everything they do. Wonderful. So yeah, so their latest 2020 report showed that less than 23% of your top fashion industry leaders are actually even being transparent about 
what's going on, you know, in their supply chains. And I know that part of it is difficult, right? Like it's difficult because it's so layered, but we have to make a commitment, right? So as a fashion leader, you've got to make a commitment to look all the way down. I mean, down to the, the furthest place you can go to make sure that individuals in your supply chain are not being harmed. And because there is no transparency, there is no accountability, right? And this is, this is sort of the whole purpose, right? With fashion revolution. And when that happens, people are not seen. And when people are not seen, they can be exploited. So, so whether they're being exploited because they live in an impoverished community, and so those factory uh, business leaders um, that are early in your supply chains or those agricultural farms are able to exploit those individuals for labor exploitation predominantly, or um, or they may you know be seeking another job. And, be, and being told that they will earn a living wage in another country, and then they arrive and all their documentation is taken, and they end up being forced to serve in a factory, um, or worse, right? So they may be forced into sexual exploitation too. Uh, sometimes there's quite the blend between labor trafficking and sex trafficking. So I would I greatly encourage taking a look at that report, but also go to slaveryfootprint.org, and, and that's going to take you through a survey of just the types of things you as a person might wear or, or consume, just the everyday person uh, in fashion industry and coffee, like food, all of it. And it will show you uh, the high prevalence of how many slaves may be working for you and you just didn't even know it. And so um, so I think that, that that's the thing to understand. In the fashion industry, we're looking at a high prevalence of labor trafficking in our supply chains that we're not making a commitment to pay attention to. Uh, and if we did, then, then things would start to change. I mean, that takes me like, you know, to awareness, you know, the, you know, by hearing you speak, the problem is that, you know, you just, we're not being aware of the situation, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yes, the fashion revolution, I'm going to incentivize everyone right now to check out slavery footprint and the, the latest report of fashion revolution. But like, if you're a small entrepreneur and, you know, just small business that how do you do the homework of, going through your whole supply chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are resources for this. Uh, so, and we educate on a lot of those resources. So you're right, Re awareness is key. That, that's that, And think of awareness, think of opening your eyes to the possibilities uh, in your own personal life. Like how is your life interacting um, with, potentially with human trafficking? And then how is your business or your business industry interacting with this issue? And then what are steps that you can take? Um, before we get educated about the topic, we tend to we tend to think there are maybe like three to five things we could do, and they all seem really big, right? And and maybe out of reach. What we try to do is educate you and walk you through that path, so you can understand really the whole world of what we're talking about, and how that world of information actually is a world of opportunity for you as an individual to understand the indicators of trafficking, even things you're going to see when you travel, when you're in your own city. Um, and how to how to report on those things, and also how as a organization, no matter who you are, but especially a business, how you can tackle this issue, um, because we're not asking businesses to become law enforcement, right? We're not asking businesses to become social workers. We we need businesses to be businesses, and and to consider uh, two sides of a coin. How do you make sure you're not part of the problem, and that's that whole kind of supply chain piece, uh, and then how do you make sure that you are participating in the solution, right? So as a fashion um, leader. That means things like raising awareness, right? Just generally. Um, but it also could mean things like providing apprenticeship or living wage career jobs with survivors of human trafficking. It could mean making sure that the groups that you're 
utilizing to recruit, especially internationally, um, uh, employees are exercising safe practices uh, to make sure that no one is being exploited through that process. Are there, sorry, interrupt you. Are there recruitment uh, organizations? I know you and I talked about it last time, you know, that, you know, we're organizing if everything goes well or summit this year. Um, and I was thinking like, well, we should definitely employ people that have been affected into, you know, in, in some, in some form into into human trafficking. Right now, by hearing you speak, are there recruiters, are there organizations that people that are listening to us today can find so that when they are thinking about hiring, they can think about where can they find these people? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 so um, what you'd want to do is try to figure out who your local restoration homes are, restoration programs are in your community um, or in the country, you know, that where you're hosting this and see if individuals who are now way past, you know, the point of immediate rescue, right, and medical needs and dental needs and trauma-informed supports, but someone who's ready, you know, to kind of reintegrate and start gaining skills and gaining education, right? So you're, you're looking to partner with those groups that have excellent reputations uh, in those countries and offering those kinds of job opportunities, which would be amazing. Um, there's also the Freedom Business Alliance that you could partner with. And it's the Freedom Business Alliance. And we help to get them launched and off the ground. These are um, companies and uh, businesses all around the globe who exist purely to hire survivors of human trafficking. And, uh, and they are most of the time uh, in the fashion uh, industry or the textile or jewelry industry. So it'd be a really cool partnership, right? So that you could work with those organizations, maybe source some of your um, material uh, production, yeah, or materials through through those companies. That would be a, an amazing way to partner or invite freedom businesses to, to those conferences uh, to present their products and services. Um, so those would be some other ways too. That's great. I was also thinking that a great way to, to make a difference um, especially for us in our community is start doing web. So we do like, you know, we have partnerships and alliances with NGOs from all over Latin America that, you know, the the student or the young entrepreneur that doesn't have the spending power to come to our events, they get sponsored by the public sector or by an NGO. So it would be interesting for also for some of these people that have been affected to that are interested in the world of retail and fashion to mm-hmm. come to the event so that they can be part of, you know, the networking and, and webinars and panels to inspire and, you know, and That's to, it. Yeah. And it would be a great way to work. To cast that vision is so critical. And, you know, and most victims of human trafficking, um, you know, if we watch movies or if we're gleaning our information about human trafficking from social media, we, we tend to think that individuals are just abducted. Right. So they they came from good families or or good backgrounds and they were just abducted and, and forced into this. And so they have that support system to go back to uh, when, when they are rescued. Uh, that's not the reality. So the reality is most human trafficking victims came through compounding vulnerabilities in their lives that led to the point where they were so vulnerable or in such a vulnerable position that a trafficker was able to exploit that, exploit that by promising a better job someplace that turned into a nightmare, by promising uh, a home or shelter or uh, even a relationship, right? Traffickers oftentimes build relationships with their victims beforehand so that, uh, and then of course it turns into a living hell later. So I'm saying this because any opportunity that you can give survivors on the other side of their rescue and restoration 
uh, to gain skills and gain support systems and gain uh, education, that's huge. That's huge because they don't have that support system uh, and they don't have those experiences in their past. And without it, they will go from being rescued and maybe going through a program that helps them get back on their feet. But then what's on the other side of that? And if there's nothing on their side of that, no scaffolding pathway, um, no vision or pathway to, to enter into an industry where they might be dreaming into entering into, they'll go back to those vulnerabilities and maybe exploit it again. So I love that. I love so that whole last idea. Night, um, last night, before, you know, before going to bed, I, I was just going through different articles online that I could find um, for this podcast. And and I, yes, what you're saying, I came across many, like, I, obviously I started going deep into like cases in Nicaragua because I wanted to learn what was happening in my country. And all the cases that I was reading, it's exactly what you're telling us, which is it was the friend or the cousin sold them for slavery because they knew that the stepfather was abusing of the, of her or him, mm-hmm. or they were living in a living hell situation or they or they were dying to, to leave their country because of violence, you know, gang violence. So, right. of course, this is the the people in, in this communities are the most affected. Mm-hmm. Is there enough? Like, are you guys doing something about? Because I would think, yes, we need to create awareness with companies and leaders mm-hmm. uh, to start telling the story more and to start getting more people involved. But we also not need to start. I would imagine educating right yes. the people in the ground, meaning. Like public, the public system, the schools, like, is there anything happening there? Like, for example, in Central America, like collaborating with, the, you know, with, with education, with the public schools in these marginal communities to give awareness to all these kids of what's happening in their neighborhoods. It's so critical. Uh, if it's not done, you know, then, in, then kids and youth and, and, and young people or just individuals of, you know, with any background, they're not going to know what dangers lie ahead. Right. So so they're not going to know that information. And by just even raising that awareness, providing that education is critical because then those kiddos can be their own best advocate. You know, whether they uh, whether they're approached in person or approached online. Right. They'll know that there may be dangers and then they'll know how to vet for that. Uh, We're working through one of our big efforts here is something called we call Justice U. It's like a justice. Oh, that was my next question. So I'm glad you're telling yeah. me. Yeah. So that's sort of our solution, right? To, to this massive you know, problem of how do you educate everyone on the planet who needs a bit of information about how trafficking is likely to happen in their context, whether they are a school teacher or a business leader or a, uh, maybe they're part of a community or a civic group, right? Maybe they're in their local church. So how do we help reach those people with the bits of knowledge they need um, that will help them identify trafficking, prevent it in the first place, or else care for someone well, you know, who's been through it. And so Justice U, our goal through Justice U, we built Justice U as an online platform that's accessible anywhere in the world. Uh, We launched it about 18 months ago with quite a number of courses. One is human trafficking awareness. So you can go earn your human trafficking awareness badge. Even today, it takes one hour uh, to earn that badge and it's free. So, uh, but we've got lots of other courses sitting there too, and lots more coming later this year for educators, for social workers, for juvenile justice and law enforcement, et cetera. Our goal is to equip millions of people through Justice U. Uh, We just launched it about 18, 20 months ago, and we have a little over 3,000 learners right now um, in uh, eight eight different countries. So we're pretty excited, uh, and we're just planning to push, push, push it out. Because The idea is to make it in more than one language. Like, I know you guys work with India a lot, what are mm-hmm. you thinking? Or you're going to stick to English? 
well, right now it is in English. Of course, it can. It, it will be translated. It's web based, so you can you can just you know kind of turn your Google Translator on. But yes, we will be uh, putting it in many different languages in the in the near future. And tell you're also you also started. Um, I know that education, collaboration, and innovation are the three pillars of Altus. Can you describe in detail what are the key points through which Altus fights against this complex issue? Sure, thank you. Yeah, so Altus is our company. It's our business for good. Uh, if you're familiar with the term benefit corporation, that, that's where we're headed. Uh, and what that means is it's a for-profit company, but it it is the profits of that company go to support the mission, right, of, of your purpose. And so, so our purpose, of course, is to end human trafficking and protect vulnerable populations. And for the last 20 years, I've been working in so many different sectors to help stop human trafficking and protect uh, from abuse and exploitation, uh, business, education, nonprofits, government, community sectors, healthcare, et cetera. And business is really the key. So we felt like we needed to, to launch a company and, and go after impact investors so we could scale these solutions uh, to reach global impact. And Justice U is one of those solutions and engaged together is another of our solutions. And so Justice U is an education solution for everyone on the planet who cares about this issue and wants to know how to get involved. And engage together as a community solution to help communities understand how they've really got to work together across sectors to strengthen their efforts. Um, our, our core values, which I think is what you were asking about, is excellence, collaboration, and innovation. So excellence is really crucial for us. Um, you know, people who are hurting in our world, they just always get our leftovers, don't they? Right. We, we give people our leftover talent, our leftover time, our leftover money. Right. Um, to people who are desperately hurting in the world. And, and that would be trafficking and that would be every other form. Right. Of vulnerability. Kiddos who are orphans. Right. Or in our foster care systems, homeless individuals. And so we really feel like we've got to raise the level of excellence at which we are going at this problem. Uh, and that's what we call everyone to who engages with us, right? So this isn't a let's give our leftovers. This is a let's give our absolute very best and let's stop things that shouldn't exist on our planet. And so that's one. Collaboration is the second because we believe you've got to work together, right? We, we have got to honor what everyone can bring to the table and just go at this problem till it's over. Uh, so working together is crucial. And innovation's key. You know, on an issue like trafficking, it's really dark. And, um, and unless you stay focused on solutions and, you know, and every day we run into problems, right? Problems in solving this, problems in communities, problems of, you know, cases that aren't going well. And uh, we just have got to stay focused on being innovative and, and just refusing to, to say there is no solution here, right? We've got to find a solution, which is also why we believe business is key because business leaders just think differently um, and they are always focused on solutions. It's why we welcome them to the fight. That's why I thought it was so important for you to, to be part of this podcast because of so many business leaders, especially, you know, we have a huge audience of Hispanics living in the U.S. and also just people from all over Latin America. And I feel like also in Latin America, what we see is like, you know, in many governments, the governments are extremely corrupted, right? So mm -hmm. the whole ecosystem doesn't work. Um, mm -hmm. So the only way that I would think, you know, after we had our first conversation, I was like, the only way brainstorming, like that we could find solutions to this problem is getting the leaders involved Mm -hmm. uh, to becoming, you know, to this community and, and collaborate and collaborative efforts that you're talking about, right? That's right. That's absolutely right. You know, and even in even in countries or communities where government is not corrupt, 
they are always under-resourced, right? And always overburdened. And so the, you know, so you may be dealing with corruption in government. You may be dealing with a broken, right? Government. You may be dealing with an under-resourced government. And beyond that, they can't do everything that's desperately needed to care for people who are hurting. And neither can the nonprofit community, right? So you've got thousands of nonprofits desperately trying to help, right? But they are also always under-resourced and overburdened. And when we were working in communities and, and until this last year, when we all had to stop traveling, before that, I was traveling 40 to 48 weeks every year, uh, working with different countries, different cities, all across this, our, our, all across the US, all across the world, pulling these communities together to try to create solutions. And the missing person at the table every time were businesses. They were not there. And so, and yet businesses, I feel, have maybe the most to offer in providing solutions because they sit outside these systems. They can think differently. They can provide different solutions that don't exist. And one of my favorite examples is Ronstadt. So we, um, Ronstadt, if you're familiar, is a, is a global staffing firm. And they were a founding member of our Freedom Council. So our Freedom Council is a global collaborative of businesses and business leaders who are dedicated to this. And Ron Stodd was a founding member. So they wanted to know how could they uh, enter into the fight to, be, to, start, to stop human trafficking. And I said, well, who are you? You're a staffing firm. And one of the biggest needs in this fight is to provide some sort of bridge from restoration homes to living wage jobs for women, especially, who are released from trafficking situations. And so they built it. They took that on as a core value in their company, and they built something they call Higher Hope, H-I-R-E, Higher Hope. And it, we're in our, I think, sixth year with uh, over 200 graduates uh, who are now in living wage career jobs. Uh, and then we just went from Atlanta, which was the beta, and we just planted it in Singapore. So it's, it's global now, too. Uh, but here is a, a business that provided a solution that is saving lives that government could not provide and nonprofits could not provide. So you just, um, there's just so much I could share. It's, it's hard, I get really excited about it because we desperately need business leaders to join the fight. Well, I'm so excited that thanks to you, um, I just got involved in the Freedom Council. How, yes. um, the listeners that are listening, how could they get involved into, into being part of, of, of the council and getting involved in the cause and contribute Absolutely. Cost. So if um, if you go to AFRJ, so that's our, our global nonprofit, AFRJ.com, uh, and then you go to slash business on that, you'll 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 get uh, you'll come to a website that has just tons of information and resources for businesses who want to learn more. You can take our pledge, our business pledge to end human trafficking. You can download our toolkits. Uh, that we have uh, made available to businesses. And we locked about 250 executives in a room uh, to get all of their ideas. And then we built this toolkit uh, with so many ways that you as a business can engage. Um, obviously, as a global nonprofit, you can donate to that cause. Um, and you can also just knock on our door and say, hey, here's our idea, right? Like we're, we're a business in this area, this community, this country. Uh, and we, we have an idea about how we could help with that work. Or who do we need to work with? Because like our, our alliance, <laughs> like that's, that's what, what we, we just exist to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And we would love, love to help you figure that out. So so feel free to knock on our door through our website too. But go to AFRJ.com slash business and you'll, you'll be introduced to all the paths you could take. So we've spoken a lot about the businesses component and the leaders that need you know, getting involved to make a difference. What about the consumers? What could the consumers be doing? Yeah, a difference. 
So, so the good news is consumers are doing some stuff, right? They are starting to care about whether businesses are businesses for good or for profit, right? And we've just seen this wave take, take hold across the world. But as a consumer, I would say, take ownership and take it on as your responsibility to figure out, is the coffee I'm drinking, is it employing slave labor in their supply chains or have they made a commitment to not do that, right? Is the clothing I'm wearing uh, from a company that has made a commitment to make sure that no slave, it, no child, no adult is, you know, in slavery in their supply chains, or have they not, right? And so, and so, start to prioritize companies that are making those commitments and making um, not just the commitment, but doing stuff, right, to execute on that commitment. A good example of this, not necessarily in the fashion industry, but chocolate. Chocolate is notorious for employing employing slave labor across the world, and. And if you Google Nestle, you'll see they're in pretty hot water, you know, for some of their practices. But then you have Tony's Chocoloni, which has made a commitment from the ground up to be slave-free chocolate. So you can go to Tony's Chocoloni on their website and see how they did that and what their commitments are and how they're executing on those commitments. How is the um, chocolate so involving in human trafficking? Because they're still employing slave labor in these sugarcane fields around the world. Um, they're employing child labor. Uh, in, in the making of chocolate and making those raw materials. And again, because there's no transparency on what's going on, uh, you end up buying you know, that Hershey bar at the store and you think it's just fine uh, and you don't know the story behind that Hershey bar. So, um, so this is why as a consumer, just take time to learn and, take, and then choose brands that are making commitments. Well, to the yeah, and Fashion Revolution is actually doing a wonderful job on incentivizing all those businesses to tell that story, the storytelling of like who made, like, you know, for them it's like who made your clothes, right? But, you know, that's like right. who made your product, you know, like, because I think that's so important. And, you know, it's it's a good way for like telling consumers how they need to be more conscious about, you know, when they go and they select that product at that store, right? That's um, it. That's it. And as a consumer, if you're, if you've got a choice between choosing a, a fashion line that has made that commitment and is telling that story uh, versus one that you don't know, or hasn't made that commitment, I mean, then, then it's a no brainer, right? That, that we, which one we should go with. So, um, so I think just becoming knowledgeable, choosing to, to take time to learn is, is the critical part as a consumer. Well, the last time we spoke, um, you walked me through, oh my God, I was shocked by it, which is, um, you know, as a mother, you know, I have my two young kids, you know, my daughter is four, my son is six and, you know, they're in their iPads watching YouTube kids and you, when we started talking about like, you know, the different types of slavery and trafficking and you guys started telling me, I think with someone in your team that started giving examples about everything that's happening in the internet. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think, you know, more and more we're becoming very tech oriented and I know that everyone's listening to us. You know, many of them have young kids that are probably using, you know, Mm -hmm. downloading all these games and all that. That's right. So as parents, you know, we, we take a lot of time uh, to, to help our kids understand not to talk to strangers, right, out on that playground or in that schoolyard or um, on the street, right? If someone who you don't know uh, approaches you, uh, don't trust that person, right? Don't, don't do that. But online, it's, it's a global playground for traffickers and for perpetrators, and they don't have to meet your kid on the street. They're meeting them in their bedroom while those kids are on their online games or on their social media apps or uh, in these forums. And they're presenting themselves as a friend. So they'll they'll present themselves as maybe even a kid their age and and start building relationships, sometimes for months, 
uh, to the point where they know that kid and they've gotten that kid isolated and believing this person is their very best friend, right? And it's a, just a very easy step then for them to ask them to, to either engage in kind of online sexual activity um, or send pictures that they will then blackmail that child, you know, or that youth, youth with later, uh, or to meet them uh, at some place and then to exploit them, right? And, and suck them into a, a trafficking. Is this like right? any types of apps? Like what type of apps are we talking about? Like every single one. Doing? Every single one. I, I don't know that there is such a thing as a safe app anymore. Um, and so so I know that's overwhelming. Uh, but what we did was we created a resource for you as parents. So if you go to learnwithjusticeu.com slash parents, you can get, so that's learnwithjusticeu.com slash parents. So also in Justice U, we can find this. That's exactly right. We have, we put together a whole toolkit for parents to understand what apps are the most dangerous and, is, and it has tons of resources, information about what to do to make that app safe for your kids and how to empower you, not just you, but your kids with the knowledge that they need to interact safely with people online. And especially this last year with so many kids online and so many kids, right? Like every country kind of locking down and kids staying home. Uh, the chatter by traffickers was tons of excitement because they knew this was a prime opportunity to exploit kids and to reach kids in a very different way. You have to think of traffickers as entrepreneurs in the worst sense of the word. They're already breaking laws. They're already doing terrible things and getting around all, everything in our community systems to do that. A pandemic is not gonna slow them down and it hasn't. It has created a massive uptick in online sexual exploitation. So it's grown a lot, I would imagine, right? It's grown exponentially around the world. And who are these people? Like, this is like, I mean, I know there's the reason I, there, there's so much of it. It's such a huge business because there's demand. But like when we talk about these people, like when you guys, like who are, they're everywhere around the world. Like it's, is this organizations? Like I wish, I wish there were one, one kind of group we could point to. It, it really is anyone and everyone. I mean, we've got organized crime involved in trafficking. You've got local gangs involved in tra trafficking. You've got even families uh, who are feeding their drug addictions by selling their kids uh, as um, for sexual exploitation. The, the problem is that because we are not able to see it as just citizens in our communities, that it is easier for a trafficker to sell a human being and exploit them than it is for them to sell a drug or a weapon. And they're going to make more money if they sell a human because they can sell that child 20 times a night uh, for years until that child dies. Do we know uh, what, what, what the price is? Like, do we, do we have an idea of like what people are paying for, for, a, for a child that's six years old? Everything from $20 to thousands of dollars. I mean, it just really, it very much varies. Oh, and so the, here, it, yeah. yeah, it's so dark. It's just so very dark. And, um, which, and, and it's just so very prevalent. And we've got to understand that. And instead of being scared, you know, um, or frozen, right? Like we just kind of freeze because my gosh, what that's so terrible. We have got to become part of the solution. So you got to equip your own kids to stay safe. Um, you got to you got to keep your eyes open in your own community. I was on vacation several months ago, and my husband and I went in for breakfast at a diner that had finally opened, and we rescued a labor trafficking victim an hour later, who was sitting wow. in that diner. So because we knew the signs, because I knew the signs. And and we you knew. Of course, what were this? I mean, I, and I've been. By the way, I, to everyone, I've been like 
really studying your websites to understand all the signs and everything. But can you talk to us a tiny bit about what those signs are? Like, tell me this example. You were the diner. How? What did you see on this person that made you do something about it? Sure. So the first thing I would say is signs vary by context, right? So so whether you're looking at a labor trafficking or sex trafficking situation, an adult or child, foreign national or citizen, uh, which is why go earn your human trafficking awareness badge. We'll unpack every single one of those signs for you uh, on Learn With Justice You. Take time to do that. But for the, in this instance, what I saw was it was 10 o'clock in the morning and I saw a, a woman who was not dressed properly for the climate, right? Or for the time of day. Um, I, I want to be careful not to give too many details because it's under investigation, but I'll give a few. I saw that she was ordering the cheapest thing on the menu and eating a lot of it. So uh, it was just a bowl of soup. So she was clearly very hungry. Um, I also saw, though, that she was drinking. So she had ordered um, some alcoholic drinks. So something was, you know, she was self-medicating, in other words, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning, but not with a lot of money. And I also saw that what she, that she had a backpack by her side um, that looked, and just the combination, you know, of all of those things. So she's transient. That tells me she's transient, right? Like she's, she's maybe kind of just walking around. Uh, she's not dressed appropriately. So something must have happened, you know, the night before she's, she's got hardly any money at all, you know, and yet she's also trying to, um, calm herself down. So, you know, we, we approached her, we waited till she exited the restaurant and I just approached her to ask her. And all I said was, are you okay? And, and she said, what, you know, like any person would say it. And I said, are you okay? I, I just saw you inside and I thought maybe you're not okay. And she just burst into tears and started telling me her story, which was a labor trafficking and almost sex trafficking story. It was going to happen that day. Uh, that, 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 that whole situation was about to turn very dark for her. And about 45 minutes into it, her telling me what was going on. Um, she said, why do you believe me? And I, I said, what do you mean? And she said, I have tried to tell several people in this in this city what's going on, and they've none of them believed me. Um, and of course, that broke my heart. You know, of course, I knew. You know, everything she was sharing were indicators of human trafficking, and indicators of her being a victim. But um, but no one else knew, and so they just they just thought it was too preposterous. You know what she was sharing. So learn the indicators, and learn how to report this in your local community and take affirmative action to do it. I just, I think we are responsible for every fellow man we come in contact with and making sure they're okay. Uh, making that sure- that moment, who do you call? Do you call the police? Because in Latin America, many times the police is extremely corrupted. So who yeah. do you call? I did not call the police in this instance because the police were involved in her exploitation. Yeah, that's the reason uh, I asked yep. many times. And I'm not saying like, I'm not pointing at any country, just sometimes, yep. sometimes it, it is. It, ha it does happen. So, so, who so we called, call? yeah, we called the local coalition. So, so there are coalitions to combat human trafficking or task forces to combat human trafficking, or maybe a, a nonprofit shelter, a rescue Every shelter. country has a coalition? I don't know that I can say every country has a coalition, but but what you would do and 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 what I can do is because because every country has a different you know kind of hotline. But what you can do is um, again, if you'll go to our courses, you'll learn what all of those different numbers are, uh, and you want to ask for individuals in law enforcement or individuals who are direct service providers. So if you don't trust law enforcement where you are, try to find direct service providers who are providing um, care for human trafficking 
And if there is no one who's providing care for human trafficking, then you then you go to the people who are providing care for domestic violence or sexual assault in your community. Like human trafficking or yeah, or human rights or something like that. Uh-huh. Yes. And they will not have like a directory at just as you where you would find like like for example in our case, Latin America or that works with Latin Americans Latins in the US that that people can find this these numbers in your website? Yeah, so it's inside the course, but also if you go to uh, Polaris Project, um, so let me give you that. It's um, Polaris, Polaris Project, uh-huh, polarisproject.org. They run uh, several national hotlines, especially the United States hotline, uh, and they have tons of reports, but they also run a hotline in Mexico and, and support national, you know, hotlines around the globe. So that's where I would say go, because they're gonna be able to get you to the, the most trusted official or most trusted hotline number because uh, hotline numbers can change, you know, in different countries. And um, and so that, that would say go to polarisproject.org or else contact the local uh, U.S. embassy in mm-hmm. that country um, because they have mandates to help combat human trafficking and they will also know who to connect with too. Yeah, I, that's what I thought. It's really, really inspiring, by the way, to hear you speak and to all of the work that you're doing and to everyone listening, don't worry. I will make sure to put, to create a newsletter with, every single name of organization that you have to click on and numbers that we need to have. Mm -hmm. I will remind you again, like I am so committed to making a difference and to being involved and to creating awareness within our community to getting more people involved, because I think, I think it's our duty. Like we all have to do it. It's, It's our job. So before we end, I usually end with the same question to everyone, which is about completely off from everything we've been talking about today, which is what is your why, you know, <laughs> and it's completely off, you know, like for me, yeah. my why is connecting, it's connecting people, it's connecting communities, it's connecting, you know, what is your why? Well, for me, it's very much part of what we talked about, right? So my, my why I really woke up to when I was 11, you know, when we took in those kiddos, my why is stopping terrible things from happening um, because I don't believe they have to happen. I think human trafficking doesn't have to exist in our world today, but I think it's going to take a world of people to end it, right? Which is why we're so thrilled to have you with us and so thrilled to be building this relationship and these opportunities together. Can't wait to see the impact we can accomplish. But my why is every soul on this planet uh, who's hurting right now and just building the solutions that are capable of changing that for them, that whole situation. You're sure executing your why. Uh, Thank you, Ashley. I am so, so happy and I'm so excited for everything that we're going to continue doing. Thank you, Estefania. Ashley, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. For those who are listening below, you can find all the websites mentioned in this podcast. For further information on this topic, make sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter and to follow us at Latin American Fashion Summit where Tribu by Laughs, a new platform which aims to revolutionize the way in which the fashion industry connects. Thank you so much.